0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. You can find the passage that I'll read in Exodus 2 on page 55 of the Bible that's right there in the, in the pew rack in front of you, Exodus chapter 2. We sing of a God who remains undefeated, a God victorious. And that's one of the big questions that confronts us at the beginning of the book of Exodus who is really in charge, who really has power. Throughout the centuries, the book of Exodus has been called by commentators the gospel of the Old Testament, the good news that God sees the needs of his people and responds with grace, that he is the one who provides forgiveness. We are with the people of Israel, the Hebrews, in their oppression They went down to Egypt centuries before at the leading of God so that they would be rescued. But now, under the evil decree of Pharaoh, he has decided that every infant boy born to the Hebrews is to be slaughtered. So listen as I read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's hear the word of God. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women Hear God speak to us that we would find in his word hope and comfort today. You are the God of mercy, and so we come asking you to speak with clarity to us. Having heard your word now read, having sung praise to you, Lord, we now long for you to apply your gospel truth to our hearts. Lord, some of us have, have dragged ourselves here today on this frigid morning looking for something that would give us warmth and hope. And so let your gospel transform our hearts. Lord, that where we are cold or resistant to your word, that your spirit would give new life, that you would transform our lives that we might follow after you. Lord, for those that don't have faith in Jesus, I pray that by the the power of your ministry, in the reading and preaching of your word, you would bring new life that you would give faith to those who listen, that they might respond to the joy, the good news, the salvation that you bring to us. Lord, make us men and women who are confident in your grace and mercy, willing to follow you. Lord, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Nelson Pettis and Larry Bond were working alongside Salmon Creek in Washington State. When they heard children screaming they turned and saw little heads bobbing in and out of the 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 raging flooded river water three brothers had been canoeing on this stream and had capsized and now we're at the mercy of the the flood waters larry acts immediately he jumps into the creek and to go to the aid of the boys nelson is right behind him in the water Larry describes the rescue. He says, I just let the current take me down until I could get to a spot where my feet hit the ground, and I tried to just hold myself there. The boys actually came to me right there in the middle of the river. I grabbed onto the kids. I got them to a little island in the middle of the river. Larry Nelson pulled the three brothers. The youngest was just eight. Pulled the three brothers from the river's might. Larry says, they were really scared. They just kept saying over and over again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, the story would have likely gotten local news coverage. Heroic men rescue three brothers from rivers rage. But it spread nationally because of how unexpected the rescue was. Not unexpected in that boys went into a raging river and capsized a canoe. No, I I don't know that that itself is newsworthy, boys doing foolish things. Not even unexpected that that the, the rescuers were willing to take a risk. Now, the reason that this story from a little town in Washington state got told across the country is because of who the rescuers were. Nelson and Larry were alongside the river as part of a work detail from the Larch Corrections Center. They are prison inmates, convicts at the water's edge. When asked why they jumped into the river, they they explained, I think we did something that anyone would do. You see three helpless kids in a river, you help. That's what you do. Just because we're incarcerated doesn't mean we wouldn't help. Yeah, we made some bad choices in life, but still, we're just like everybody else. We're just paying our debts for what we did wrong. Helpless boys facing a river's judgment until an unexpected hero enters the water. That's the rescue we find in Exodus 2 evil pharaoh gave the command to toss every hebrew baby boy into the nile river to face the judgment of egypt's gods and yet as moses floats in the water an unexpected rescuer finds him an evil command unexpected rescuers and god's great power are on display in the book of exodus Yesterday, Leah and I were joking about, we were talking about James Bond, the spy who stars in dozens of movies stretching back into the, into the 1960s. Now, the recent movies have become pretty dark and intense and a little bit dangerous, but I explained that many of the older versions were a little more cheesy, kind of silly, intentionally so. Bond movies don't really work because of the plot. It's just that he gave us Gadgets, Glamour, and Girls. Well, And I joked with the guy, I said, yikes. That's the problem with having a preacher for a father. Even his movie summaries come to you in three points, alliterated. (laughs) Gadgets, Glamour, and Girls. But then I pressed the joke yesterday a little bit further. I said, actually, I could preach tomorrow's sermon using this outline. Now, I don't know that that says something really positive about me, Or it just says something about how bad the sermon outline was before this. God saves Moses through unexpected means. The gadget of the basket. Moses is then raised in the glamour of Pharaoh's household. And challenging the misogyny of 007, the heroines are girls. All right, so we're going to do it. Gadgets, glamour. girls. First, the the unexpected way that God intervenes and how Moses is saved. Now, we're introduced to the the horror of Pharaoh's command at the end of chapter 1, that every baby boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile. Every Hebrew child is going to get tossed to his death. And then we read in chapter 2, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant. ordinarily this would be exciting news in a household. I think I'm pregnant. And yet when you live under the curse of death from Pharaoh, this is dangerous news. Particularly as we continue in verse 2 that she gave birth to a son. One who stands condemned to die. Now when we first meet the parents of this baby, we're not told they're Names. Now, we, we know their names because we're told what their names are in chapter 6. Amram and Jochebed. Amram is the father, Jochebed is the mother. But here, their names are left out because the focus of our narrator, who is actually the baby later in his life, but the focus of the narrator is on their identity as, as a man and woman of the house of Levi. Of the twelve tribes they are both from the same family line they are both levites which seems an insignificant detail here except that we're we're learning first he is a true hebrew of hebrews on on both sides of the family line and then later this detail that he is of the house and tribe of levi will become significant because of the ministry given to this house to be those who are priests who will intercede on behalf of God's people. So even as the story is told, we're given a glimpse that, that something is happening here. That God might be at work. And so when Jacobed, when this Levite woman gives birth to a son, she sees in verse 2 that he's a fine child. We, we, we're not sure what it means here in Exodus 2, but she hides him for three months. Now the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, toward the very back of your Bibles, actually gives us a little bit of insight into what's happening here, into the response of faith by Moses' parents. That it's not just that she looked and saw, oh, he's really cute. I mean, I don't think that's an unusual response for a mother looking at her child. Oh, he's beautiful. He's a fine child. But in Hebrews 11, we actually learn something of the faith of these parents. In Hebrews 11, 23, by faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Because it's not only the life of the baby boy who's at risk here during these three months, their lives are at risk as well. Now, in the earliest days of a baby's life, you wrap the child up, and and as long as you don't put a, a a bow in his hair, then, well, who, I mean, who, who can tell? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? So they're able to keep this child hidden. But remember, every Egyptian is given the command that as soon as they find an infant boy among the Hebrews, they are to kill this child. And so this mother comes up with a plan. She, in verse 3, she realizes she can hide him no longer. He's now big enough, loud enough known well enough in the community that it will be hard for her to keep him hidden. Perhaps this is the time at which she's dragged back out into the fields to to labor as a slave. Her task, her body having been used by the, the Egyptian overlords for, well, their main purpose is more slaves. Well, more girl slaves, because they don't want the boys' slaves growing up to be enemies. So she can hide this child no longer, but what does she do? Look at verse 3. She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. The papyrus, the the reeds that that grow along the the Nile, famous for for being turned into a a writing surface, but, but used to make baskets as well. Then she coats it with tar and pitch, easily accessible in Egypt, so that it becomes seaworthy a little boat for her boy. And actually, the word that's used here, I mean, this is the reason that I can make gadgets its whole own point, is that the word that's used here to describe the basket is a word that's only used in one other section of Scripture. It's a, it's a unique word used in the book of Genesis, chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9, to describe the vessel that God commanded Noah to build. The ark. This little basket is called, not by a a common word that you could use to describe a basket, it's called an ark. Moses' ark. Now, not big enough to take animals two by two, small enough to only put a a three-month-old inside of it. But she's going to keep him alive a little bit longer. But the word used here is a hint for us That inside this ark, there is perhaps hope of salvation. Uh, A hint that maybe God really is still involved. That there is something special about this child, that, that God will rescue him. Because even when we can't see how, God is still at work. I mean, what really is this mother's plan like how long is she going to be able to hide this baby inside this little ark i mean does it go is it is it the very first day that the baby's in the water that the plan comes apart or have they been able to to make this work the reason his sister is up on the shore perhaps to, to be on the lookout so that mom can sneak down and continue to, to nurse the child when no one's looking. But it's a plan that, that really seems hopeless. I mean, at some point, the ark's going to get big enough that somebody's going to notice. But even when we can't see how God is at work. We can trust trust that he still cares. And that's how Moses' parents respond, by faith. Trusting that even though they can't fully see the outcome, even though they can't understand all of the circumstances, even though they can't explain all that has gone wrong, a world turned upside down where the Hebrews were once at the, the top of the of the, of the charts of those that the, the, the Egyptians loved have now been pushed down and enslaved brutally, harshly, cruelly. I don't expect that they could fully understand and explain that, but by faith they trust that God has not abandoned them. That perhaps, perhaps there is hope for them here even along the bank of the Nile. And so the gadget... The ark and then we meet a princess of Pharaoh's court because while the child's sister is standing at a distance to see what happens verse 5 is almost the worst case scenario it's not just some Egyptians sort of going about their day on the bank of the Nile sort of wandering past that maybe they'll keep moving maybe they won't notice the papyrus basket among the papyrus reeds in the river. No, this is worst case scenario because she's down in the river. She's at the water's level. She's right at eye level to see this ark. And she's the daughter of the man who gave the command. So there's no hope that she would be unaware of the command of what do you do if you find a Hebrew baby boy? No, she's in the household of the evil pharaoh. And as one who's in the household, we would expect that she would be among the most likely of Egyptians to obey the pharaoh's command. And so we can almost feel the the heartbreak of this sister standing at a distance as she sees this Egyptian princess with her entourage getting closer to her brother. Verse 5, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. Oh, this is the moment of horror if you're watching. They're going to take that basket and dump it out. And they're going to watch a three-month-old boy drown in the river. And they're going to be happy about it. But she opened the basket. She unsealed the ark and saw a baby. And he was crying. And thankfully, she did not have the response of Pharaoh, but she responded with compassion. She saw the crying boy, and she felt sorry for him. I mean, she even recognizes that he's a Hebrew, perhaps just by the clothing he's wrapped in. She knows right away that this is a Hebrew boy. She understands the command that he must be dumped into the Nile. But, but, but the boy's sister <laughs> intervenes. She notes the tears and and pounces on the compassion. Should I go get a Hebrew woman for you? See, the Nile River should have been the death of this child, but it becomes the method of God's grace. The baby was meant to be tossed into the river, but God sent his ark to provide refuge for this child. Just as he had rescued Noah, and his sons, his wife, and their wives. God is rescuing this baby. The Egyptian should have been the baby's executor, but she becomes the mother of God's rescuer. Because Moses' birth mother can now nurse her baby without fear. If an Egyptian comes by, she has a royal seal to explain, oh, no, no, no. I'm the wet nurse for the princess's baby. You can't have this one. She need not hide him. She need not fear. He is under the protection of Pharaoh's court. This baby will live. And even his name, he's given the name Moses, an Egyptian name, named by the princess. But, but it's a, a name that has double meaning because it sounds like a Hebrew word. It's Egyptian, but, but if you're a, a native Hebrew speaker, when you hear it, it sounds like the word to draw out, to take out of the river. And so this baby is given a royal name, but his name reminds us of God's rescue. And so this baby will grow in the glamour of Pharaoh's household. Moses, as one commentator says, will be trained for Pharaoh's overthrow right under Pharaoh's nose. He will understand the intricacies of how the court works. His mother is a princess. His father, his adopted father, grandfather, will now be the king, is, is the king. Because God is at work to bring salvation to his people. Pharaoh's evil cannot stand. He will be defeated. The river of life for his people, the Nile River, did not prove powerful enough. It could not take this baby. His own daughter would not obey his command. Because we could summarize this passage. God triumphs over evil. And I know, I know that sounds easy to say. And, and of all the Hebrew babies, I could only find one for whom that actually makes immediate sense, right? What about all the other mothers whose babies were ripped from their arms? Where was God then? Does God not care? See, see we, we, we can be thankful for Moses, his mother, his sister, their family, and yet we still feel like, but I'm not sure it's enough. Does God know the pain that I'm suffering? Yes, I can rejoice when someone else receives good news, but I still had a week filled with bad news. Yes, I'm I'm thankful for those that have recovered, but I'm I'm praying with urgency for those that remain sick. And yet the hope that we find in Exodus 2 is not that God just will sort of accidentally saves one baby, but that through this one baby, God will save his people. God triumphs over evil. He understands our suffering, our pain. He goes to such enormous lengths to rescue us. Because the story of of Moses, a baby under threat of death from an evil king, reminds us of another child, another baby boy. Think of the way the Gospel of Matthew describes the earliest days of Jesus, God's own son. The Magi have come to visit, but they let slip evil King Herod that there is another king who has been born. Well, like the Pharaoh of Exodus 1 and 2, Herod of Matthew 1 and 2 cannot allow another king. He cannot allow any threat to his power. And so, even after the Magi disappear without giving him the baby's exact location, they've already given away too much, haven't they? Herod knows where the baby is born. He knows the name of the village, Bethlehem, and it's not that big. So, let's just go house to house. Let's rip little boys from their mother's arms. And since we don't know how long the journey took, let's, well, let's push it up to toddlers. Let's go to the infant nursery, the toddler nursery, and take every one of the boys and kill them. That's the command of Herod, echoing the the, the evil commands of, of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. And yet, God protects baby jesus god warns joseph the adoptive father of jesus take the child and his mother and escape escape to egypt stay there until i tell you for herod is going to search for the child to kill them and so before his life can be taken god rescues jesus taking him to egypt and then later back to the land of promise. Jesus is the true Israel, our rescuer. Jesus is preserved as an infant so that he can give his life as our rescuer. See, God understands our suffering. And even if we don't have a full explanation of it, we have a very deep explanation. Of suffering. That God knows our suffering, that He put His own Son, our Savior, under threat of death. And more than that, Jesus willingly went to His death. And so we know that God loves us, that God will rescue us. So we've seen the gadget, we've glimpsed the glamour. And actually, this next point, this is actually the easiest of the points to make. From Exodus 2, we have to notice the girls. Now, not in the horrific, misogynistic way that 007 normally notices the girls. Because Exodus 2 would be a challenge to Hollywood's understanding of of the way women should be treated. It's certainly a challenge to the way the, the people in the ancient world would have understood the way women could be used by God. Because who are the heroes in this story? Well, they're women. A defiant mother who won't let Pharaoh's evil command dictate her actions. So she resists his evil decree and makes a plan for her son's survival, even if it's a plan that we have no idea how it could possibly work. And then his sister, sent to watch and report, probably still very young herself, likely to run and get her mother when things were safe enough for the child to be nursed. Then we see the compassion of the princess, who knows in her head the command, the boy must be killed, but in her heart looks at him and feel sorry for him. Because that's the natural response when you see a helpless child. Somebody should help this little one. I guess it should be me. Now, thank God it was not an Egyptian soldier who found this child. Perhaps we should be thankful that it wasn't even just an ordinary Egyptian wandering along the Nile who found the child. It was a princess. A woman used to getting her own way, I expect, even with daddy. So a woman who has the natural instinct to look on the child and say, I'm going to protect him. I know he's not like me. I know the command, he should be dumped into the water, but I will rescue this child. I will draw him up out of the water and hold him as my own. See in Exodus one and two, we see the compassion and defiance of women, used by God to bring about the rescue of God, the ministry of a mother necessary for our salvation. Because it is through this mother's child that God will redeem and rescue his people that Pharaoh will eventually be forced to say, yes, go, go worship your God, get out of here. God acts in unexpected ways. He rescued Moses from the river. He will defeat this evil king because God has raised up a deliverer. He will prove his power over Egypt. He has proved his power over sin and death. The waters of the Nile cannot stop him. The power of the nations cannot defeat him. God rescues us from death. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of your word, for this unexpected rescue. A helpless child left to float on the river. But Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy, that you are more powerful than the evil of Pharaoh, that whatever evil we face today, you are the God who will be and is victorious. God, give us the hope of salvation that comes through Jesus, our Savior. Born himself a helpless child, lived a life of, of, of obedience to you so that in the gospel, the good news that we, we've been, been given, we might have the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you that in his resurrection, he proves your power, your victory over the worst evil in our world, over the worst evil in our hearts. Lord, we give you praise through the name of Jesus Christ, our rescuer. Amen.